The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 24th chapter. Now on that same day when Jesus had appeared to Mary Magdalene, two disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? And they replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself and all the scriptures. As they came near to the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us because it is almost evening and the, the day is nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together and they were saying, the Lord has risen indeed and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened to them on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The Gospel of the Lord. I invite you to be seated. I love the Emmaus Road story. It's one of my favorites. It's a, a story for the doubters and for every one of us who has ever been disappointed by faith. It's a story of grace in the midst of grief. At face value, it's a story of two of Jesus' many disciples, Cleopas and somebody else. I don't know, we get to see ourselves maybe in that other person. Walking the road between Jerusalem and home. Cleopas and his companion have given up. I, I mean, they are 
weary in faith. They have waited the three days for Jesus to arise again. It's now evening on the third day. Some in the group have gone to the tomb and then come back reporting that angels have said Jesus has been raised, but you know that's hard to believe. And besides, they were hoping that Jesus would be the one who would redeem Israel. In other words, Jesus would be the one who would somehow overthrow Roman occupation and restore the Davidic dynasty in all of its glory. But nothing has changed. Nothing. So they keep going over the events. We do that, the events over the past weeks and months, and especially the last three days. And Emmaus is seven miles away. It's a seven-mile road. Now, seven usually is a symbol of fulfillment. They don't know it yet, but they are not just on a journey home. They are on the way to abundant faith and life. Now, on the surface, it's a story about meeting a stranger and ultimately discovering that the stranger is the risen Christ. And Jesus comes and he walks with them and they don't recognize him and they discuss these recent events with him and their, their dashed hopes and he reminds them of all the teachings in scripture and they invite the stranger, the fellow traveler, to stay the night in their home and it's now sundown on the first evening of the first Easter and as the stranger blesses and breaks the bread and gives it to them, Immediately, Cleopas and his companion recognize that it is Jesus who is with them. Their eyes are opened, and then poof, he's gone, and they're filled with joy, and immediately they rush all the way back to Jerusalem, ready to tell all the others what has happened to them. That's the story of the Emmaus Road on the surface. Now, beneath the surface, the entire story is also a metaphor for finding faith in the worship life of the church. We're the people on the way. That's what the church called itself way back then in the day, the way, the people of the way. And as we come together in worship, in our faith journey, we do what we call the gathering at the beginning of the service. And then we study the scriptures together and we ponder, what could it possibly mean? And Jesus joins us as we're reading the scriptures, even though we don't see him and recognize him. In the service part that we call the word and the gospels proclaimed and the story of Jesus' life and death and resurrection and everything written about him in the prophets is declared. And the living word, Jesus the Christ, is here challenging us and reminding us of what we believe and interpreting for us what we have heard. And then we move to the table the meal, just like Cleopas and his companion. And in the blessing and the breaking of the bread and the shared cup, we see Jesus. And then suddenly we are sent out to share the good news as we have experienced and together we are transformed. That's church. Which reminds me of another favorite story. It's not a Bible story, but it is a story about how we experience the risen Christ, and are transformed in our lives. Now, the key character in the story is India Opal Bilani. She's 10 years old. India is uh, a new kid in town. Her father is the preacher at the Open Arms Baptist Church of Naomi, Florida. 
It's a new town for them because they've been on the move again and again and again. And Opal's having a rough go of it in this new place. Her mama left when Opal was three years old. Just up and left one day. Never came back. She's been thinking about her mother more and more. And her daddy is mostly absent, too, when you get right down to it. Not physically absent, but emotionally absent. He's so broken by life, so full of pain, that he closes in on himself. And she says he hunches his shoulders at his desk like a turtle pulling its head into its shell. Being the new kid in a small town is rough. She has no friends. She's lonely. There's no one to hang out with. One day she's at the Winn-Dixie store and suddenly encounters a mangy mongrel mutt who comes crashing through the produce aisle, turning everything topsy-turvy. Opal immediately adopts him. She names him Winn-Dixie because that's where she met him. And it turns out Winn-Dixie, this mangy mutt, has su suffered a lot of trauma. He suffers from PTSD. He's absolutely terrified of storms, and he cannot bear to be left alone. But Winn-Dixie also has a gift, the gift of getting people to open up. Winn-Dixie is like the Holy Spirit. Winn-Dixie is that face of Christ in an unexpected place in a ragamuffin, mangy dog, but that spirit that opens and cracks our defenses and brings us all together and restores us through forgiveness and transforming love. When Dixie, it turns out, is how Opal gets all the local, gets to know all the local people. She finds as she heads out into the town with this dog by her side that suddenly the people who were all closed in on themselves, leading their own lives, self-protected, begin to open up. Everybody loves Win Dixie. It turns out that each person in this little town has been bruised and battered by life. That's all of us. We've all got some scars, some things we want to hide. Sometimes we just want to truly hide away and we quit kind of connecting with other people around us, afraid we're going to get hurt. And it also turns out that every single person in that little town is also gifted. Miss Franny Block is the librarian. Picture all the librarians you ever knew a long time ago back when you had to be quiet in the library. She's never married. She's lonely. She's later in years. No one sees her, really. It's like she's invisible to people. But it turns out that Miss Fanny Block is a very gifted storyteller. And Opal and Win Dixie begin bringing people to hear her stories. Then there's Otis. Otis works in the pet store. He's kind of an odd character. He's very skittish and nervous, especially around people. He's fine around the rest of God's creatures, but he doesn't do really well with humans. He has served time in jail, Otis has, and there's a lot of shame there and embarrassment. He doesn't talk much at all, but Otis has the gift of music. 
and music that instantly soothes the souls of all of God's creatures, even humans. So even in the greatest chaos of a pet shop, when all the parrots are squawking and the dogs are barking and the cats are mewling and everything else is going on and there's a ruckus, as soon as Otis begins to sing, there is peace in the among the, uh, there's calm in the storm. Then there's Gloria Dump. We all know Gloria Dump. Gloria Dump's an elderly, mostly blind woman whose yard is a jungle and a mess, and her house is worse. All the local t uh, children think that Gloria Dump is a witch. How many of y'all passed a house as a child where the witch lived? She is haunted by the past. Opal keeps coming around with Winn-Dixie trying to crack a little place through Gloria's uh, hardened shell. She usually shoes her away, but eventually they begin to talk and Opal asks questions and Gloria Dump begins to answer them. Fascinating for Opal is a big tree in Gloria's backyard. She has a very dense, thicketed garden. And the tree is filled with bottles. And Gloria says the bottles are to chase away the ghosts of all the bad things she's ever done. There are wine bottles, whiskey bottles, beer bottles, lots and lots and lots of bottles. But Gloria Dump also has a gift. She has the gift of growing things. And she has the gift of wisdom and lessons hard learned. She knows things. And then there are the town's children, the ones that Opal's trying to deprend, and it's been really difficult. The first is Sweetie Pie. Sweetie Pie, you know you picture her. She's five. And Sweetie Pie yearns to have a dog. Oh my gosh, she wants a dog so bad, but her mommy and daddy won't let her have one. So... Sweetie Pie mourns that she doesn't have a dog, latches on to Winn-Dixie, and it turns out Sweetie Pie, at age five, has an enormous gift, the gift of celebration. She knows how to throw a party. She loves to throw parties. She loves to go to parties. And she firmly believes that all parties should have a theme. Then there's Amanda Wilkerson. A Amanda is this toe-headed girl, pinch-faced, kind of judgmental. Amanda's one of those people who worries a lot about the rules. She knows the rules, she's trying to follow the rules, and she's watching out if you're not. Her little brother, though, Carson, died last year. He drowned, we find out. He was only five. Stevie and Dunlop Dewberry. <laughs> These are the boys who really want to be friends with Opal, but they don't know how to go about it. So what they do is they tease her relentlessly and chase her on their bicycles. To her, it feels like bullying. But it turns out they have a gift too. Stevie and Dewey Dunlop, I mean Stevie and Dunlop Dewberry have the gift of readiness to reconsider, to change the opinions they had about other people. And in every case, Winn-Dixie is breaking down the barriers 
melting hardened hearts, releasing all that putrefaction that comes with guilt and shame, making a path to forgiveness, changing minds, bringing acceptance, and ultimately a celebration of every single person's unique giftedness. The final scene in this story takes place at Gloria Dump's house, the witch's house. The one with the bottles hanging from the tree. They're all gathered there in Gloria Dump's yard in her garden, these former strangers who have now become dear friends. And there's a big party going on in the garden, and each one of them has brought something to share. Otis brings pickles. Sweetie Pie, age five, brings pictures of dogs to celebrate decorations for a theme. Miss Franny brings litmus lozenges, her, her unique candy that she always keeps on hand that tastes sweet and sad at the same time. That's life. And in the midst of the party, it begins pouring rain, and there's thunder and lightning, and the wind begins to whip the trees, and they rush into the house where they sit there, surrounded by candlelight, singing hymns as Otis plays his guitar, and Opal's daddy, the Baptist preacher, is no longer hunkered in his shell. He's there with them, and he pronounces a blessing upon them. And they eat, and they laugh, and Opal says, my heart doesn't feel empty anymore. It's filled all the way up. Communion. Church. Luke called the church the way. It's not a building. It's a journey. Walking side by side together with Christ being renewed, reborn, transformed in faith and hope and love. Amen.